Everybody doing well this morning? Oh, you're feeling that nice spring winter weather, aren't you? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I was telling earlier in this, sta- this uh, service again, this stage never smelled so good. I'm serious, man. You ought to smell the perfume I smell up here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for my wife that was standing right here that lit the place up. And praise God for our women. And praise God for training camp. Praise God. We praise God for... We are at the end of this study in the book of Habakkuk. It's, it's been a good study. It's been hard. Uh, it's been challenging. But hopefully it's been affirming for you as it has for me and all of us. And, and so we saw that Habakkuk had these questions for God, and then God finally came to him. He gave him these woes, told him to hold on, that ultimately he was in full control, and that, there, that he would judge the people that he allowed to come in and plunder his people. And so you always ask the question, how did it end up? How'd the story end up? Like, is that the end? Like, do we get to see, like, the closing chapter? Yes, we do in this case. And it's found in another book. And we're looking about 70 years later, Belshazzar, who was the king of the Babylonians, he was arrogant, prideful, and God speaks in Habakkuk 2.20, says, but the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. It was a, a call of judgment, and God comes in, and we're going to see a familiar man surfaces off the scene, stories you've heard about him, and maybe in Sunday school, or Kid City, or in a personal Bible study. But because of this one man's faith, during this time, one man stands out and above, and he gets a book in the Bible, and he gets a couple chapters written about him. He was willing to remain faithful because God is faithful. That's all God calls us to. We don't control the the circumstances. We don't control the outcome. We do control whether or not we respond in faith. I love observing people. It's one of the things I love to do. I love sitting back and just watching people in difficult situations. I love reading autobiographies and biographies of people who have been through hard things. I learn from people who have gone before me and and people that are in the midst right now. And and so I I love watching. And so when I see faithful people, I, I always in my mind think, how did they remain faithful? What was it about their faith that's different than mine? And how can I learn from the heroes of our own faith. This morning I was reminded again as I came down 2021 and I was turning into 36 and there's a sidewalk right out diagonally that runs from 21 right to our parking lot. It's a weird place for a sidewalk to be quite frank. And the reason that sidewalk is there is because of a sweet lady who was one of our own, Connie Waters. Some of you remember her. And if you never met Connie, she had great faith she would encourage your heart. She was wheelchair bound, but, but, but she, she ruled the world. <laughs> and she had great faith. And, and, and it was one of the ways that we could allow her to come on her wheelchair and come through. And, and watching her faith through the years and then seeing her dream for dream ministries that Audrey Fireline now leads and oversees, that happened because of Connie's faith. She couldn't walk, but she trusted in God. And I remember her last days, even being by her bedside, she knew that she would see the Lord and and she would walk again and she would run in heaven. And there was a sense where she was like, Lord, take me home. God, take me home. I'm ready to walk and use these legs. But her faith, you could not not spend time with Connie and know that she was a woman of faith. I used to watch her. I remember one time I was driving on 21. 
She was in her wheelchair, and she had an orange flag on it. She was on her cell phone, and she was giving it to somebody, like, going down the road. Like, she was like, we're going to do this. Like, I don't care what you say. This is going to happen. But praise God for Connie, and I have so many great stories of her and and the the people that she loved, even in dream ministry. One of her favorite was Ashley, who Ashley is here now. You've probably seen her around. We love Ashley, and I tell people she's our greatest employee that we have, and she would allow Ashley, she would call up and she said, I want to talk to Pastor Jim. And if you've ever talked to Ashley, love her to pieces. She doesn't talk much. And, and, uh, and, and in fact, she didn't talk at all until Connie get, spent time with her and Connie got her talking. And, uh, but she would, she said, I want to talk to Pastor Jim. And so I'd come in my office on days and the red light would open up and it was Ashley. And, and Connie would call up and say, well, leave him a message. And th- this was Ashley's message. It was brown going down. Click. <laughs> That was Ash. That's what she would do. And, but I love people face. So when I read this account today, like, I hope it, it encourages you. Like, I hope it makes you want to say, I'm holding on. Even though all hell is breaking loose, I'm holding on in Jesus' name. Grab your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 5, and we'll see this prophecy fulfilled. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Daniel chapter 5 is a fulfillment of the prophecy of God and the woes from Habakkuk. We're going to read the first 12 verses of Daniel chapter 5. This is roughly 60 to 70 years later. Belshazzar is still king. And most likely Habakkuk is dead. But God's prophecy will be fulfilled. The destruction would come. Stand with me. Let's read Daniel chapter 5 and wrap up this series this week. Daniel 5 verses 1 through 12. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners and then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's men came in. But they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. And his face grew even more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his peoples, came in the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. And also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He will tell you what the writing means. You may have a seat. God is good on his word. We're going to see. 
Remember back in Habakkuk where God said, he laid out the woes, and he said he would bring judgment on Babylon. Imagine having to wait, though. Listen, 70 years there would be children that were babies that would grow up. And most likely, Daniel was probably 8, 10, 15 years old when Babylon came in. God brought him in to wipe out and plunder the people. So he was probably there when mom and dad lost their home, when his aunt and uncles were killed, when they were living in a tent, and and when they were standing in line at the window trying to be fed every day. He was part of that time period. So he was fully aware. So we're fast forwarding. He's, He's grown up, and now he's 80 years old, Daniel. 80 years old. And yet God still hasn't brought forth the promise of judgment on the Babylonians. Belshazzar is still king. But as we know, there's this handwriting on the wall. And it says just a finger. So just picture if you can. It's hard for us to picture this if we've heard this story. But imagine you're standing in the palace. And, and as you're standing in the palace and you're drinking from these gold goblets, by the way, that was part of the woes. He said that they would get drunk. And they took the gold goblets that were... God's people in Jerusalem stole them, plundered them, and now they're mocking the God of Jerusalem, the God of Jacob, Israel, and, 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 and Abraham. And now they're standing there and they're mocking. They say, oh, we serve the gods of the stones and the wood and the iron and the metal. Laughing, just laughing. And after they get done mocking, boom, there's his hand. Whoa, you guys see that? Like, look, they had never seen that before. And what happens next is just this unraveling of God's judgment on his people. You see, during this time, Daniel had been waiting. His people had been waiting for God to come. And God finally showed up. Like, if we were watching a motion picture and you were at the movie theater, the music would change about right here. And it would be like the Jaws theme from the first theme. Boom, 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 boom. And God would say, I'm back. Here I am. Here I am. And the music and the, sh- the whole mood of the, of the movie would change. And, and God has showed up. And it, these fingers appear. And then we, they can't figure it out in verses 7 and 8. And they bring in the enchanters and magicians. They can't figure it out. And it says that King Belshazzar became, Shazar became more terrified. He became even more pale. And then his wife walks out in verse 10 and 11. She does what a, a, a wife would often does, and my wife often does for me, tries to pour some encouragement to me, and she'll say, Jim, you can do it. Hold on, Jim. She comes out, and she says, long live the king forever. That's after him seeing the finger on the wall, and she saw how pale he was. Long live the king forever. She's trying to encourage him, and, and then she says, by the way, King Belshazzar, it's okay. We'll get this guy. There's this guy that he's got the spirits of the holy gods in him. Like, how did they know that? Because they had watched his life. And word was on the street that there's this man out there. In fact, he was out there. And even during King Nebuchadnezzar's time, he, he interpreted dreams. And he worships of a different God. And, and he knows the answers to these kind of things. So here we have it. Here God's going to bring his man in. There's a man in your kingdom that has this, the spirits of the holy God. And here's what I want to say. It's during the difficult times that the faithful stand and are noticed. I want to ask a real challenging question here today as I ask myself this week as I prep for this message. Would people notice your faith in the trials and say, hey, you going through a difficult time? There's a woman, there's a man 
I know, that has the spirits of the holy gods in him. Call them. Like, I'll send for them. Let me text them. Have them come over because they know what it's like to stand in difficult times and not budge an inch. Would people say that about you? Are you that different? So they call for Daniel. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. He, he, he comes on the scene. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father, the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it meant, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Pause and hit this pause button for a second. Imagine being in that position. If no one else could understand and you're the only one that was interpreting you could say anything you wanted. <laughs> I mean, he really had a chance here to do serve himself, didn't he? He also didn't budge an inch because he knew what he read on that wall would be difficult for the king to accept. He didn't walk away from it. He didn't run and hide. He could have made up a story, but he knew if he told the king the truth that it could mean his life. But he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to stand for what was right. Meanwhile, he's 80 years old and he cap- was in captivity all this time. And so he has a chance to give the answer. Verse 17, he gives an answer. Here it is. Then Daniel answered the king. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your Ruth Chris to somebody else. I don't want it. Your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell you what it means. He said, your majesty... The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he just put them to death. Those he wanted to spare, he just spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he just humbled them. When his heart became what? What's the word? Arrogant and hardened with what? Pride. He was deposed of from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of a what? Animal. He lived with wild donkeys and and he ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and sets them over Anyone he wishes. So he's looking back. He's saying, hey, by by the way, before I tell you what this says, there was this man in your lineage called Nebuchadnezzar, and he thought he ruled the country. And I gave him interpretation of his dream, and he remained arrogant and pride. So listen, don't remain arrogant and prideful. It says not only did did God destroy him, it says, but he actually... In a, in a humble, God just humbled him. He crawled around on the ground like an animal eating grass. <laughs> Don't mess with our God. And he steps in. So he tells him that all this takes place. And, 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 and he, he said he was driven away from the people. Then he says this in verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself 
though you knew all of this. Like, you've heard the stories. And you haven't changed. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You mocked the living God, in other words. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. In other words, you are worshiping gold and silver and wood. You don't worship the living God. Your days are numbered. Just like your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Then he says, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and your ways. And he says in verse 24, therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. <laughs> in other words, you see a hand on the wall? <laughs> That's not from your stone and your wood and your, and, and, and your, and your handmade or man-made gods. This is from the living God. And he decided he would get your attention because he knew the only way to get your attention is to do something that you've never seen before. That's what that hand is right there. And he was pale, and it says his knees shook, and his wife came out, and he became even more pale. He had never seen anything like this. So here it is. Therefore, the hand, in verse 25, it says this is the inscription that was written. Here's what the hand wrote. Mine, mine, take old parson. Then he says, here's what these words mean, Belshazzar. Mine means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought you. To an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Jim Brown paraphrase would be this. Na, 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 hey, hey, hey. Na, 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 hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. There it is. Goodbye. There it is. God answered just like he said he would. Prophecy is about to be fulfilled. Then it says this in verse 29. Belshazzar realized this. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. You know why he did that? Because he was scared to death. He was trying to manipulate God's decision. <laughs> because didn't Daniel say, I don't want your stuff. Give it to someone. And, and, no, no, I'm going to give it to you because, man, you just told me something. And, and if I give this to you, maybe God will appease this situation and he'll relent. But watch what happens. Here it is. Here it is. Here's, here's the woe. Here's the, here's the judgment, just like we read in Habakkuk. Here it is. Seventy years later, 80-year-old man telling him what's going to happen. And it says this in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was what? What's it say? Slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Hear me out, Grace. Please hear me out on this. In a matter of hours, in a matter of hours, God did what he said he would do. It was in his perfect timing. You see, it's hard for us. Like, God, but Lord, if you would do it right now, if you come through me, for me right now, and this, this resistance that I'm feeling, and this, that I, it, I'm not being treated well, God, it's about time you come through. Let's, hear, please hear me out today. Even when we don't understand God, still remain faithful, because when he moves, it is perfect time for you. Seventy years they waited for this. People had died. 
Daniel is now 80 years old. Listen to me. For your situation today that you've been begging, that you've been lamenting with God. This could be the day, but if it isn't, remain faithful. Because in his time, as I told you a few weeks ago, we need an eternal mindset. Even if in this lifetime we don't get what we want, what we get in the lifetime to come is so much better. An eternity with God, have the eternal mindset. But by the way, this could be the day to the answer to that lament that you've had. You could receive a call out of nowhere today that says, I was given your name for a job. Here it is. You could walk into a building and the man or woman of your dream introduces them to yourselves and says, Woohoo, you're the one. Your child could wake up after being sick for years and says, I feel so much better today. Your son who has run from God calls you out of the blue and says, Mom and Dad, we need to talk. What you've been telling me about Jesus, I have repented and I trust in him. Your great uncle's lawyer, you, who you barely knew, calls and says, just in case you didn't know, you got this large inheritance coming. Woohoo! Your doctor's office calls and says, you're pregnant. You have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried in his time. You walk to your mailbox and it's a letter from your dad saying he's sorry for the way he treated you when he raised you at home. And he would love to meet with you and make it right. You see, we don't know when that moment is, but I know that the faithful remain faithful because God is faithful. So hold on. You're never alone. God is with you. And it was 70 years of waiting. And Belshazzar and the judgment that God said he would have on the Babylonians took place. And Daniel saw the full picture. And he was there to witness it play out. But look how God uses this man. He used this man because he was willing to stand when others weren't willing to stand. Something that he was doing through this whole waiting period. People knew that he had the spirits of the holy gods in him. And they called on him because he refused to budge an inch in his faith in the midst of very, very difficult, dark time. Becoming a man or woman of God is not a one-time decision, though. It's the thousands of decisions of faithfulness along the way. Sometimes people come to me and say, they'll say, Pastor Jim... I want to become a faithful man. I want to become a, a godly man or godly woman. Tell me what to do. Like, give me the, give me the 10 step. <laughs> There's not a 10 step. It's a step every day. It's making decisions every day to follow God. It's thousands of decisions along the way. It's, it's, it's hungering and thirsting and running after him. And that's what Daniel did, and God elevates him. At this point in the story, like, I, w- I wish I could, get, at the end of the story, I wish you could say, and they live happily ever after, and the credits come down. You would think, like, after all they've been through, like all that Daniel, finally Daniel stands up, you would think, like, it's about time. But then it doesn't happen that way because God wasn't finished with the story to his life. But the faithful witness the miraculous. You see, at some point in your journey, you'll be called to live out your faith in a crazy way, but it's often displayed because you have a faith bank of previous encounters. So Belshazzar's died. Darius becomes king. 
as best as we know, the Israelites are free, no longer in captivity. But watch what happens. There's a group of people that are ticked. The remnants of the Babylonians, they don't like what's happened. And so chapter 6 and verse 1 says, if it pleases Darius, it pleases Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. That seems good. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Darius likes Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Like we should say, he lived happily ever after. Happily ever. But because his witness and his faith to God was so strong. Hear me out. If you are standing for God, you will face persecution. It doesn't stop. Verse 4, it says this. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was what? What's it say? Trustworthy. Neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. We're not going to find anything wrong with him because he's a man of integrity. I mean, he lived for 70 years during this time. He stood out amongst everyone else. He was so distinguished by his quality and love and faith for God. We're not going to find, so we need to devise a plan. And this plan must cause him to have to do something that God's people do. And then we'll Twisted in such a way, if he does this, then, then we'll trap him. Because he's not going to back away from him. He's already proven that he's not afraid of anyone. He told the king that he was going to die. Imagine you, if you had a chance to interpret a dream, and you have to stand before the king and say, you're dead tonight, boy, you're dead. He wasn't even afraid to give that verdict to the king. So they said, we'll get him because he loves God. And we'll, we'll say, if people do something that's for the holy God, then we should, we should throw them in a lion's den. So that's what happens. Watch what unpacks Ness. Look at verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group for the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects and satraps, advisors and government all have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. Here it is. Here it is. They're going to twist it and enforce the decree that anyone who prays, and they should say that, that Daniel, when he prays to any god or human during... The next 30 days, except to you, majesty, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue that decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the laws and the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed, so King Darius put the decree into writing. He had no idea the ramifications were about to place, take place. But these Babylonians who were still surfacing and these Medes and Persians who didn't like Daniel knew exactly what that meant, that they were going to capture Daniel praying to his holy God. And when they saw him, Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook would have picture after picture after picture after picture. Watch what happens. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. To his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees. And he did what? And what? Prayed. Giving thanks to his God. Just as he had done before. 
for. Many people will say that they were, they're willing to die for Christ. But are we willing to live for him? <laughs> Daniel, he heard a decree. And he knew if he went and prayed that he would be thrown into a lion's den. There's some study done about the lions during this time and the way they would put them in the dens when they would throw criminals into the lion's den, that they would take these lions and they would starve them for weeks on end. So that when a person was thrown into the den, these hungry lions would be so hungry that they would just ravenously tear into these human beings and they would literally take them and chew them and eat them up in a matter of minutes and simply an hour or two. So they were so hungry. It's not like they're at, we're at the, the petting zoo. It's like, here, good boy. No, they were ready to chew them up. And Daniel knew that too. He knew about lions then. He knew about these lions, but he went home. He said, hey, I'll remain faithful. I will stand and pray and I will kneel and pray even when no one else is because my God is great. And even if I die today, I know where my eternity is and that's with God above. See, that's faith. We have no idea of that kind of faith. See, faith doesn't insulate us from trouble. It places us in the middle of it. So watch what happens in verse 11. It says, then these men went as a group. (laughs) You bet they did. They carried their iPhones with the best cameras and, and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You know what he's probably asking God? God, I'll be faithful, Lord. I'm not going to let my death keep me from trusting in you. So, God, I just want to know that you're with me, but I'm with you until the end, even if it means my life. Verse 12 says this, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his world decree. And look how they do it. Like, I mean, they, they, they think they win. He says, can you imagine this group? Hey, hey, king, king, come here a second. Didn't, did, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revealed. They never said that there was a man already that was doing that because they knew that the king had favor for Daniel. It's a setup. Verse 13, then they said to the king, um, King, <laughs> oh, Danny boy, he's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly what? What's the word? Distress. He was determined to rescue Daniel. Like, how is that going to happen? And made every effort until sundown to save him. In other words, he probably went back and he he said, please read this contract, this edict. Is there anything about this that there's a loophole in it? He probably had his lawyers there. Please, like, did I sign my name backwards? Did did I need a a capital letter for my name? Like, he he read over it. He was thinking, is there any law that's that's in motion that I can repeal. It says that he, he tried and he tried and he tried and he realized there was nothing he could do. Nothing he could do. Then in verse 16, so the king gave the order. 
And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, how long? Continually rescue you. He was longing. He was begging because he knew that the God, the holy gods, as they looked at it, lived inside of Daniel, and he had witnessed his faith, and there was a part of him that believed in the living God because Daniel lived out his faith with the living God. And he says, may your God rescue. Here's the king of the Medes and Persians hoping that the edict that he had given because someone had disrespected it would live. Verse 17 says this, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. In other words, there was no exit. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of the dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. Hope beyond hope that somehow Daniel had survived. When he came near the den, it says he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Just picture if you can this 80-year-old man's voice <laughs> answering May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. Can you imagine these other, this group of men standing there thinking, uh-oh, this isn't good. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. God shut the mouths of the lions. The king had a sleepless night. Prophecy was being fulfilled. God was faithful with what he said he would do. And because God is faithful, hear me out, we can remain faithful. Because God is good on his word. And he knows what's best for us. What if Daniel had not been such a visible witness? What if his faith hadn't surfaced during this time of captivity? Would his people have ever been rescued? You ever wonder that? I do. Like, was he the only one that had the spirits of the holy gods in him? I wonder about America, if we truly have Daniels. I wonder about Grace Community. I wonder about me. I wonder if we stand out because of our faith. I, I wonder if we are nothing more than silent witnesses unwilling to take steps of faith. I wonder, after I read the truths of Nick Ripkin from the insanity of God regarding America, 
He says this. He says, we seem to forget that Jesus himself promised that the world would reject and mistreat his followers just as it rejected him. Could it be the only way that the Almighty God could actually answer his prayers asking him to end the persecution of believers would be to stop people from accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior? If people stopped accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, persecution would end immediately. That would be the only way to completely end persecution. If there aren't believers, then why persecute? And then he says this. It sounds like a ridiculous question. But should we really be asking God for the end of persecution? By doing that, we might unknowingly be asking that people not come to faith in Christ. He said, Ruth and I seldom encounter, that's his wife, a mature believer living in persecution who ask us to pray that their persecution would cease. We have never heard that request. Rather, believers in persecution ask us to pray that they would be faithful and obedient through the persecution and suffering. That's a radically different prayer. He says, why is it millions of global followers of Jesus who actively practice their faith in environments where persecution is the norm? The first and most basic answer is that these people have given their lives to Jesus. The second answer is that they have determined in their hearts that they will not keep Jesus to themselves. Having found their faith in Christ, they have such a passion for Jesus that they must share the good news of his sacrificial love and forgiveness with their families, friends, and neighbors. And by doing that, these believers are choosing to be persecuted. What that means is this. For most believers, persecution is completely avoidable. If someone simply leaves Jesus alone, doesn't seek him or follow him, then persecution will simply not happen. Beyond that, if someone becomes a follower of Jesus, persecution will likely not happen if the faith is kept private and personal. If a person is silent about their faith in Jesus, the chance of being persecuted is very small. So if our goal is reducing persecution, the task is easily achieved. First, just leave Jesus alone. Second, if you do happen to find him, just keep him to yourself and don't share in evangelism. Persecution stops immediately where there is no faith and there's no witness. The reason for persecution then is that people keep finding Jesus and then they refuse to keep it to themselves. He said, if we spend our lives so afraid of suffering, so adverse to sacrifice, that we avoid even the risk of persecution or crucifixion, then we might never discover the true wonder, joy, and power of resurrection faith. Ironically, avoiding suffering could be the very thing that prevents us from partnering deeply with the risen Jesus Christ. So he says this. Here it is. Here's here's the nutshell. What is Satan's paramount intent? Quite simply, it is this, denying the world access to Jesus. Satan's greatest desire is for the people of this planet to leave Jesus alone. Satan desires that we turn away from Jesus or that we never find him in the first place. If Satan cannot be successful at that, he desires to keep believers quiet, to diminish or silence our witness, and to keep us from bringing others to Christ through evangelism. It is that simple. Once we understand the nature of the spiritual battle and the strategy of the enemy, we see clearly that the role that believers have been called to play. We also see the importance of our choices regarding witness and faithfulness and obedience. 
at the beginning of every day we choose. It is simply a matter of identification. Will we identify with believers in persecution or will we identify with their persecutors? We make that choice as we decide whether we share Jesus with others or to keep him to ourselves. Here's the convicting part. Believers who do not share their faith aid and abet Satan's ultimate goal of denying others access to Jesus. Our silence make us accomplices with Satan. When Ruth and I speak and teach and share with Western churches, we often ask if we believe that persecution is coming to America. My response is often rather pointed. I say quite sincerely, why? Why would Satan want to wake us up when he has already shut us up? Why would Satan bother with us when we are already accomplishing his goal? He will likely conclude that it's better to let us sleep. You see, church, we have to be very careful with how we respond to persecution. Oh, Lord, take it away from those Iraqi believers. Oh, Lord, in Somalia, don't let them be persecuted. God, help my kids who are being persecuted in school. God, Get me to a place where it's safe. Put me around Christians for crying out where I'm safe and I'm not, I don't have any struggles. Let me be in a workplace where I love everyone and, and, and they think I got a, a relationship with Jesus, but I have never been asked, why do you love Jesus so much? Or I've never had employees turn their backs on me because, and because I'm always calling them out for their behavior. I'm not even, I love where I work, Pastor Jim. I'm never persecuted. Huh? You see what's wrong with that? The enemy has silenced our witness. So why would he want to wake us up when he has shut us down in America? You see, persecution is a reminder, guess what, that we're doing the work of the Lord. And Daniel was. And he's rewarded for it. Watch how it ends. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree. Here's another decree. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of what? Daniel. For he is what kind of God? The living God. And he endures how long? His kingdom will not be what? His dominion will not, his, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. I just saw it like I just saw him go into a, a pit with lions and come out unscathed. In the heavens and on the earth, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Why, 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 why? Because he was faithful. And he didn't back down on his Jesus talk. He had a bold witness, so bold that he distinguished himself among the pagans that they said, there's the spirits of the holy gods in him. He's got something different. They brought him forward. We need to kill him. Persecution followed behind that, but God rescued him. And he was good on his prophecy of Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. 
Let all the earth keep silence before him. It was a declaration of judgment. Bam. There it is. There's the end of the 70-year story. God's people who remain faithful will experience the faithful God coming through for them. There it is. So what do we learn from this book? I know you've learned stuff. Here's what I've learned. God knows what he's doing even when we don't understand it. Pain is a gift from God. You will have scars, and I do too. If all you have is the God of the good times, then you really don't have the God of the Bible. Idolatry is when a good thing takes the place of God. God, give me this, and and God, I won't worship you until I have this. That's idolatry. Inward peace does not come from outward prosperity. We can bless the name of our God in the darkest valley. When we wonder if we can't make it another day, we can stand and we can kneel and we can say, God, you are good. I never once was alone. God gives responses to our prayers, but not necessarily the answers we're hoping for. Amen? Faith is not getting what we want, but accepting what God gives. Listen to me, Grace. You can trust him. Faith knows the difference between hurt and harm. We grow through the gift of pain. Persecution. Time does not heal all wounds, but time with God heals all wounds. Time heals nothing. Only God heals. When I lament, I allow myself to feel and process pain and escape depression and the victim's mindset. Two more. You want to know what I learned from this? Our God is stacking the wood to a fire. He hasn't lit yet, but he will, and he will judge evil, and Satan will spend his eternity and his cohorts in hell forever. Lastly, just tell the dark and demonic forces that come upon you that you win, and we win convincingly because the book tells us, and we might not have the score that we want right now, but tell them, look at the scoreboard at the end. We win. Standing on this mountaintop, looking back just how far we've come, knowing that for every step, God, you were with us. Kneeling on the battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory, your power in us. Never once did we walk alone. Amen? Oh, Lord, as we sing the truths of this song, I pray it would be a word of a, a declaration of praise and lifting you up. It didn't take the pain away. Followers of Christ will face hardships. Followers of Christ will, will receive persecution. We should never run from it. But God, help us to know today, no matter where we'll be or where we are or where we've been, God, we have never been alone, not once. In Jesus' name, amen.